You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and this is the 100th episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I cannot believe we're here. I mean, it feels correct. Um, I'm so, so honored uh, that I have devoted listeners and new listeners and that we're on the 100th episode. This is going to be really exciting. I'm splitting up my 100th episode in two parts featuring two incredible artists the first being busy phillips on this episode and then the next episode being rob madge who is currently bringing um my son's a queer uh to broadway from the fringe and then the west end and now and now to new york um i really uh i did i i didn't know what dear multi-hyphenate was going to be when i first started it late 2019 in december of 2019 especially just a few months before the pandemic. Um, I'm so thankful to Broadway Podcast Network and so thankful for all my guests that have come on. Everyone from, you know, Tony Award winning actors, Emmy Award winning actors to Tony Award designers to producers to milliners to educators to, I mean, the... um, The list goes on and on. Uh, And I'm just really thrilled that we're here. And Dear Multi-Hyphenate is going to take, um, it's going to look a little different, I think, uh, in, in the next, in the next, you know, episodes. Um, I wanted to switch it up a little bit. So what we're going to do is, uh, I'm going to release a new episode every two weeks, just like I normally do, except around the holidays, but don't tell anyone, uh, cause it gets, you know, crazy over there. But, um, I think, you know, what I want to do is release an episode every two weeks, but in between the two weeks, I'm going to release like mini-sodes and they're going to be like 10 to 20. Well, let's face it. They're going to try to be 10 to 20 minutes, but I, I'm a talker. Um, I'm going to be 20, 10 to 20 minute long episodes where I sort of spin off what we talk about in the previous episode or talk about something specific like headshots or... Um, accessibility in the industry or casting um, uh, body positivity things like that things that deserve sort of their own um, maybe update you know even like SAG contracts equity contracts states of the union things like that a little more business specific and a little more um, 
just uh, concentrated, which I think is um, going to be really cool. And uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure th- that that is going to be the biggest change to your multi-infinite as we go on. There's just going to be more content. I, you know, continue my pledge to accessibility in the theater. I have, you know, I have this podcast that gives you all the freest of informations <laughs> and, um, and my book is only, you know, 30 bucks, which you can get on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble online, uh, the drama bookshop, the Rutledge website, um, plenty of ways to get it. And also I do a lot of free content on social media. So, um, I would love, love, love to welcome you into the Dear multi family. I would love to hear from you. Um, you can always email me at dearmultihyphenate at gmail.com if you have any questions or ideas or want to be on the podcast. And also please follow on social media at dearmultihyphenate or at the Michael Kushner. And please rate, comment, subscribe, do all of that good stuff um, on Apple Podcasts and such. It, uh, I'm just really happy to be on the 100th episode. This is very exciting. So let's Let's go. Let's go for it, shall we? Let's get into Busy Phillips's uh, episode. Busy Phillips has starred in numerous movies and television since her breakout role in Freaks and Geeks in 1999. In 2018, Phillips released a collection of humorous autobiographical essays in her book, This Will Only Hurt a Little, that was immediately a New York Times bestseller, offering unfiltered and candid stories about her life. Currently, Phillips stars in a hit comedy series, Girls 5 Eva, opposite Sarah Bareilles, which Netflix recently picked up for a third season. Produced by Tina Fey, the acclaimed series centers on a one-hit Wonder Girl group from the 90s who try for another chance at pop stardom. Phillips can also be seen in Mean Girls, playing Regina George's mom, a fan favorite. Recently, she also appeared in a scene-stealing recurring turn in three episodes of Freedom's hit comedy series, Single Drunk Female. In 2020, Phillips launched her podcast, Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best, with her creative partner, Casey St. Ange, featuring conversations reflecting on when setbacks led to better opportunities. Enjoy the episode, and happy 100th! Hi, Busy Phillips. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Just like trying to stay uh, warm. It's very cold out. So I've heard. I actually have not been outside in like two full days. <laughs> so that's the right move. That is the right move. But um, all my clients coming to the studio are literally like walking and they're like, hi, I'm <laughs> just like it's too rigid. cold. Yeah, you have to take like 45 minutes so that their faces stop being bright red, I'm sure. I know. And I was as I was telling you, like, um, you know, we my husband and I just got a house and we're it's uh, we knew that we were going to be putting a lot of money into it and fixing it up and all that good stuff. But there's a leaky faucet on the side of the house and we drove up and it was like this waterfall basically had just like frozen over it was we were just like oh those are like things that you need to pay attention to when you have a house now just like an ice build up yeah you're a homeowner i am a homeowner yes Mm -hmm. correct (laughs) (laughs) um so okay our story is really i think a really good lesson in i have a lot of people that are like I don't know how to network. I don't like networking. I don't like networking. I think the way that we became friendly and worked with each other is an amazing, like, tool of networking. I literally 
was photographing backstage at the ACLU and we struck up conversation and I said, come to the studio and you did. Kind of. Well, yes, but also like your pictures were great. Oh, thank you. And and your vibe is great. Thanks. And uh and I felt like, yeah, that's I mean, I needed new pictures anyway, which I really did need pictures. You know I what I mean? I think it's so funny when you had said to me, you're like, I haven't had like photos in a yeah. while. It's so funny because like I think that is such a an interesting thing to talk about like when you find well not the general you when someone uh -huh. finds notoriety i think yes. there are some things that people associate with actors that go away right like a headshot it's like when mm -hmm. you're working when you're working you don't really need a headshot per se yes well i think that yeah I mean, even when, and I, and I do still definitely audition for things, but my headshot, I don't know what, I don't know what they use. That's <laughs> like, just, they like pull pictures from the internet or whatever. Like they just don't really, I guess, yeah, the, the headshot thing hasn't been a thing for me for so long. I feel like the last time I had gotten real, like sort of headshots done I was probably in my late twenties and like, like maybe pre Cougar town kind of, or around Cougar town. But then like, because I was on television shows, Gina, why are you coughing? My, sorry, my dog is coughing. So I apologize to the it's listeners. Okay. That's just my dog guys. Don't worry. Hi, um, uh, you know, you do press photos for TV when you're on TV shows. So a lot of times, like my agents, I think would just use those, the, the press photos. When I wrote my book, I had an author photo taken. Um, and but then it did, you know, because I do so much work sort of like in the social activism space. And then and like, I get asked, I was just asked today to host a gala fundraising event. Um, and then they want to put a picture up and, you know, I was like, what, what are these pictures that it was actually before the ACLU where I was like, I couldn't find a recent picture of myself for the ACLU to use, um, to promote the event. And so it was, it was really perfect timing and your pictures are great. Thank you. I, I mean, you are not a hard subject to photograph and we just have fun. I mean, that's honestly what I think the best photo shoots are. It's just like us getting to know each other. And also it's so funny. It's like, you know, the stakes are so low. You're literally like, I just need a good photo of me. And um, I think for younger artists, right, of course, like there's like we have to get into psychological gestures of getting into certain rooms and convincing Telsey that you are Cinderella and into the woods, whatever it is. But when people start to find work and have years of incredible work, you know what I mean? It's like, it, then the stakes get a little lower. Just need to look like yourself. You just need to be you now. Yes. Yes. But I actually, you know, my feeling. What, what's that's actually, well, my feeling is that that's actually what all actors need to do. I don't know. I think that there are lots of different <laughs> versions of careers for people, right? But um, in my experience, like the greatest success for actors comes 
with all of the people that I'm friends with and close with, and not just actors, uh, you know, writers and directors, people who work in our field. Um, it, it comes when they sort of let go of the idea that there's something that they need to be and they relax into the idea that who they are is the gift and they just need to bring that to the work in whatever way that that is. I mean, I play characters for sure and that are not who I am in real life as a person, as a mom, as a friend. Um, but I feel really like relaxed about the fact that the way that I am and the, and what I bring to a thing is, is unique to me. And so there's no trying to be like, Oh, I think what they want here is Rachel McAdams as da, 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 you know, like, I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't work. And it, and I do feel like early in my career, I was really hung up on that idea. Like they, Oh, they want the like hot girl who's this. And that's how I have to play it. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, I don't know that that just doesn't work when you're trying to when you're trying to uh, explain to someone or like you're trying to uh, show someone what it is that you think they want. <laughs> it's like it's not going to work. It's never going to work. It's all about knowing your power. Yes. Yes, that's true. That's all it is. It's just about knowing your power. And when I when I ask um, a lot when I have these conversations about like, all right, whose career do you want to steal? It's just to understand energy, right? It's just to go, all right, I want to steal Busy Phillips career. And I want that. Um, I want that energy. And I want that, that incredible power that she's in. And then that makes me go, great. All right. I know how to direct you now. And I know the questions to ask you. And I know the journey to bring you on. Um, it's, but you're completely correct in saying like, we have to know what our, what our superpower is and, and being like, I am enough and that your talent is enough. Your star power is enough. And, uh, I, I unfortunately just don't think many people know what that is. And that's just a, mm. that's just a personal journey. You know what I mean? And I think some of our biggest stars, the people that are, who they are is because they have found their superpower um whether or not right that, it's just a point of view it's their it's their right and it's what it's their unique point of view i think about michelle i think about my bff michelle williams who's mm -hmm. i think literally i i actually believe that she is the greatest actor of my generation um <laughs> if that's if that's too big for me to say about someone that I love dearly, but I actually do think that that's, you know, she certainly is, there's no, I, I can't think of many people who come close to her and she's she amazing. does, she's incredible. And yeah. she really uh, is able to disappear into roles um, completely, but it's her, it's, it's all her, her it's all her process and her way of thinking and her and knowing her as a person i can say i can say that you know that's the uniqueness like that's the thing that she is able to weave in and out of all of these 
uh, incredible characters that she's played, it 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 hinges on on her, uh, like as as a as a person and a soul and a and a beating heart and um, and I feel a little bit like you know she and I became friends when we were both on Dawson's Creek and uh, you know she had already sort of started this journey of doing theater and really figuring out who she wanted to be as a performer. And I was still in the place of like, oh my God, when's my next job? Am I gonna not work after this show? Am I gonna have to go back to working at California Pizza Kitchen? How long will my money last? Um, and also, can I buy that pair of shoes for $300? You know, like, like, but I feel like I learned so much from her process and how she thought about work and thought about and was so thoughtful about the things that she wanted to do um that it, it really was it really did teach me i think a lot about um you know there is a, there's a there's a part of our careers when you're when we're all starting out where it's like this is the job you're getting you know and like you got this job and you you know, unless you're a trust fund kid, like you're, you got to take it. But I always like, when I look at some people who are young and their careers and I'm like, that person is, oh, that makes sense. Oh, okay. They have, they have, I'm never surprised when I find out someone comes from money in a creative field who like only works with like the most prestigious people because like, yeah, of course you don't have MTV's undressed on your film, you know, on your resume because uh, you weren't worried about paying your rent, you know, like, you, like, yeah, okay. Only if you have wealth, like beyond all, can you be, the person that's like so picky about jobs. Although, you know, I do have, fr I have had friends in the past who were very picky uh, and didn't come from money. And they were like, I'm fine working at this retail job until I get to do the work I want to do. And that's great for them, but I don't know many of those people. I'm actually only thinking of one person. And, and also that person, Hi, Gina, Gina, Gina. It's not Gina, guys. Um, and also that person was also like very good about um, house sitting for famous people. You know what I mean? Like they like they had like, they worked it in other ways. Um, but I just, you know, not every job is going to be the job that's like iconic. And I certainly had a lot of jobs in the beginning of my career where my friend brought me a VHS copy of a movie I did called Spring Break Lawyer, Michael, that he had found on eBay. And he was like, I had to get it for you. And I was like, I didn't even know this existed. But now, uh, thank you. Did Shakespeare write that? It was. It was uh, Shakespeare's great nephew <laughs> <laughs> for MTV, a made for MTV movie that we shot in like less than three weeks in Long Beach. And it was <laughs> a, a nightmare. <laughs> That's incredible. But you know what? But you know what? I didn't have to go back to working in a restaurant or retail. It like paid me enough money that that you know that I could hold out and get get to another pilot season. I really have such a um my heart goes out to mm. like up and coming actors now because mm. just how the business has changed um and how compensation has changed with streaming 
I, I can't imagine how anyone kind of makes makes it like work for them until they get their big break. It's so hard. You say so many incredible things and things that I really agree with you on. You know, I think of one other person that really sort of started out their career in that way. And that's because I'm reading her book right now, but Barbara Streisand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she talks about this in the book about how she always knew she was going to be a star. And she simply said, you know, no to things or that she wasn't going to do certain things because she was so keyed in to what she had to offer so keyed into that and it's also a different time right this was the early 60s the early 60s is not what 2024 is now we didn't with the inundation of social media and now like you know this ai threat and like there's this the industry looks so different it really does you know and um and by the way wait i do want to say one thing like there were some things that i turned down auditioning for because for uh, like a bunch of re different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, and I'm not, you know, and I don't regret any of those things. They were like, you know, really low budget. It was like, I weighed, I weighed, um, whether the experience would be worth the work f that felt like, you know, like some low grade horror movie, um, or, you know, like low, super low budge horror movie that filmed in, I don't know, Louisiana for two months. Like, is that worth it for me? I've already done, I've already been in a movie and I've been on a television show because I got Freaks and Geeks really quickly. Mm -hmm. And so that was also in part, like, so incredible for me, even though, you know, I was, I, you know, whatever. Um, but like, so I didn't need that like on set experience time. So I was able to not take or not do some of those auditions that would come into my to my agency some of those really like in my experience but i did have to do some of them <laughs> yeah oh my gosh of course in my experience like you know i turned down with my with my team I, as a performer i turned down a lot of regional gigs that might take me out of the city that will pay me uh you know what i make in half of a day in a whole week. You know what I'm saying? Because like mm -hmm. I have my photography business. I can't just up and leave my photography business to do cabaret in Tucson, Arizona. For many people, that is okay. And that is amazing. And they should be doing that. Everyone has their give and take with their careers. Yes. Everyone has their own boundaries. Am I going to leave New York for four months, destroy this momentum that I'm making here, go do a, a regional gig over there just to say that, just to add something, a line on my resume, what is really going to help? And that's what, you know, that's when the business sort of, that's when we can't just be artists in this industry. We have to be smart business people. What is the long run? Is this going to, am I going to get paid a hundred dollars a week, but is this show going to fulfill me artistically? Is this going to, am I going to be happier? Am I going to, is my well going to be filled is like, we have to out, we have to weigh out the pros and cons of why we take certain gigs and that's okay. It is okay. Yeah. And I feel like people don't talk about that enough too. You know, like, I mean, honestly, freaks and geeks 
was so incredible that I was, that I got that show when I was, you know, 19 and had just started auditioning. Um, but the truth is my agents at the time, I don't know if you know this story, but my agents at the time were sort of on the fence about me doing the pilot for Freaks and Geeks because it was a guest star for the pilot and Judd had said, well, when, if the show gets picked up, we'll make her a series regular, but there was nothing like in writing that said that he was going to keep his word. You know what I mean? And I had been, it had been, it was pretty early on in that pilot season. And I had already, I was brand new and I was already getting like a lot of attention, like callbacks and, and, uh, you know, off, like test offers and guest star offers or whatever. And they were like, I don't know, this is like a long shoot for a pilot. We don't know if we want to take you out of pilot season. And honestly, I ran into Linda Cardellini at the airport. We were both picking up people because we both went to Loyola Marymount University. She was a little bit, she was older than me. Um, but she was like a legend at Loyola. And, uh, I ran into her at the airport and she had just gotten the part of Lindsay. And she was like, they told me that they offered you Kim biz. You got to do it. We'll do it together. And I was just like, yeah, of course, that's what I'm going to do. I have to do this with this girl who I kind of know, but I know she's wonderful. And like, we are sort of friends and, and I know that she'll take care of me and like teach me things. And she really did. She really did. And like, so for me i was being told by my reps one thing and i had to just trust the experience that i was going to have with this girl was going to make it worth it whether or not the show got picked up you know like whether or not that pilot got picked up because there's so frequently they don't <laughs> you know especially back then um when they would make like 40 pilots every year uh but yeah that's like you know i had to really i really went with my gut <laughs> I think I think rep in this conversation is really interesting because I also think that rep is a really specific part of someone's journey as well. Not all rep is great. Very true. And not every not just because you signed with someone doesn't mean they have your best interests. Sometimes they are worried about 20 other people and you're I'll answer their email in next week because I have these other things. I had one client come in. And could not get out of her head for her headshots because she wanted to do one thing. But her her new manager, first manager she ever had after a few years of trying, first manager. And I know that feeling of finally getting signed with someone after a dry spell. Fi finally get signed and her manager just wanted something completely different than what she wanted in these photos. And she couldn't let go because she couldn't. Big, could, mm. couldn't figure out how to fully lean into what she wanted and the vibe of the photos that she wanted versus what her new manager wanted. And I am of the school of thought that it's always better to be unrepresented than it is to be represented than someone doesn't that doesn't understand you. Yeah, totally. And someone who doesn't get you. Um, I mean, that's the most important thing. I actually just, I just took meetings because I, I like didn't have... I sort of haven't had any representation in a while. You're not the only one. I was just with Todrick <gasps> Hall. I was with Todrick Hall at his show in New York a few months ago. And he literally told me, I he just got rep. He just got rep. And I was like, you've been doing everything yourself? And he said, yep. 
it that that's the, and that's the funny thing about it, right? Some of the biggest people, the more accolades you have, like you, like Todrick, like these people that are always everywhere doing everything, are sometimes doing it by themselves, and that to me is wild. Well, it's wild, but it's also I think. I think it speaks to what this business has sort of evolved into, which is very different than when I started in 1998, Mm. (laughs) which is that, you know, you really do have to generate a lot of stuff for yourself and you have to be out there. Like I remember hearing someone tell me a long time ago, um, no one that I ever met at the night, no one that I ever met in the night helped me in the day, something like that. Like basically just saying like, don't waste your time at parties and things like that's not where it's going to happen for you. And I kind of, I like kind of believe that. Like I do kind of believe that, but then also it depends what the party is. Um, But I think some people get really like, into an idea of like, I got to go to this opening. I need to be seen at this thing. I need to be, I want to be in the room at this thing. And it's a little bit to me, like, unless you have the thing to talk about, like, what what are you doing? Like, that's not, it's not going to really help you necessarily. Sometimes, I don't know. Um, But I think that the like self-generating work stuff has to, like we all have to do that now like we I, I just think you no one has we don't have a choice and like we, even if you're i've had actor friends who are like i don't write i don't i'm like then you you need to go take a class with somebody who and you need to meet somebody that does <laughs> like you need to like you need to get some friends who want to put you in their short films and you you know what i mean like there are all kinds of different ways to generate stuff um it's hard. It's really hard. Of course it's hard, but I think the best stuff comes out of the need to tell a story, right? It's not Yeah. It's not that you want to be a star. It's that, hey, I have this story. I have this point of view, like what we were talking about before, this point of view that I need to get across. I mean, like, look at Sarah Bareilles, right? Like, you know, coming up with some of the most brilliant stuff because of a very specific point of view. I mean, Mel Brooks is my hero, right? And the way that he healed, helped heal Jewish people after World War II was by writing some of the most brilliant stuff that also had political aspects to it. And that to me is, you know, the work that I'm really drawn to, the the artists in the industry that find that creative freedom, that find that success by taking the bull by the horns and multi-hyphenating. And that's, you know, why I wanted you on your multi-hyphenate was because I think you're one of the leading multi-hyphenates in the industry. I love, one of the things that I love when um, someone brings up the pictures that I took of you or goes, oh my God, you photographed Busy Phillips. I love her from blank. And everything is always different. I know, it's crazy. It's I feel really, yeah, it is amazing. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because you've not only as an actor have you created iconic scenes in so many different things, but you've created your own work. You're a writer. You are a host. You're an activist. I mean, like what to you is multi-hyphenating and how do you identify as one? Oh, yeah. Um, well... <laughs> I, I mean, I do think that like sort of at the core of what you were saying right before that has been my guiding principle and also to circle back to like the very top of the conversation. Um, you know, your point of view is your point of view and uh, you got to know who you are in order to know what that is. And that is the superpower of like any person who wants to be a multi-hyphenate or be uh, an actor or be a writer or a storyteller or exist in this business and make things. Anyone who wants to make things. Um, I think that at the core of it, you have to know who you are and the stuff that you want to make and why you want to make it. Because if you don't like it's a mess um in the beginning of my career when i would consider myself less of a multi-hyphenate and more of like an actor for hire a kid who was just like i want to do this thing i don't know how i just i'm gonna do it uh i would say that like the parts that i got were parts that got me and that the through line was that i would always bring my particular point of view to them. And, you know, it's, it's like feminist based and, uh, and what it is, has been to be a woman uh, in this world in the way that I have been, um, that informed so many of the characters that I played and how I played them. And, you know, I was always a writer uh, but wasn't ever getting <laughs> paid for it. Um, <laughs> until I, until I did, until you do. Um, yeah. but I think as I got older and it really started to crystallize for me, the kind of things that I was drawn to and the stories that I wanted to tell and the projects that I wanted to be a part of, um, and, and how I wanted to do it. And so, you know, I think that like my, the arc of it is, is like very clear to me now, but it did take me even a minute to, I was probably not, it probably wasn't until I was in my like mid middle, late thirties before I really was like, oh, that's what I've always been doing. Oh, that's interesting. I've always been telling this story about what it is to be a, a, a woman in this, in this in this moment in history and uh you know and then so then everything else has like sort of been kind of like 
a part like a an offshoot of that the podcast the book the podcast the talk show the podcast the activism i mean it's all inner it's all the same thing you know it's all the tv show like you know i've sold i sold a tv show several years ago to each like a that didn't get made into a pilot uh with danny mcbride to hbo but that was about sort of exploring like white saviorism and activism. Um, I have a show that I'm working on now that's kind of a ludicrous, <laughs> like a big concept show, but about a woman feeling like trying to, who, who's, who feels sort of like displaced in her environment and has to like pretend to be a thing that she's not. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think that like, it's all, it always is sort of the same thing. I mean, that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense because um, in my book, I, the first thing that I talk about is the why, is why do you do what you do? And um, I teach at NYU and a new program uh, called the Norwalk Conservatory and teach theater business there. And we focus on the why for weeks, literally for a whole semester, because it's something that is so important and young artists don't think about um, from the beginning. I think the why comes later, but the why should be introduced earlier because I think the earlier you're introduced to why you're doing what you're doing, the longer you have to sort of produce art that reflects that point of view, reflects the need. And I always say, I'm so glad you brought up your feminism and existing as a woman in the world, because I think multi-hyphenates are predominantly made up of um, othered people or people from less um, researched communities. So uh, mm. people of color, uh, members of the LGBTQI plus community, women, um, Jewish people, just like, I feel like people that have, uh, that have had to create something to center their stories. Those people are predominantly multi-hyphenates. Of course, yes, there are straight white men there that are multi-hyphenates, but the need to multi-hyphenate came because our stories were not centered. And so I'm so glad that you said um, your feminism and your experience as a woman in the world has propelled what you have created. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, like, it's, it's interesting that you teach the class and talk about the why, you know, in the beginning, I think that if I had been probably very pressed when I was young, I would have got, I would have probably gotten to it. Um, and I think that like, honestly the trick of like the longevity of my career has been that thread and the why has been so consistent um but it was very for me at least i would say it was very intuitive when i was young um and and it was like my driving force but i sort of i i don't know if i would have been able to have have given it like the name, you know, like, I don't know if I would have, I don't know how well I would have done in your class. 
<laughs> no, that's the funny thing is I so I mean, with everything I do, with everything, whatever it is, I encourage failure. I want you to fall flat on your face and be like, I'm not doing this right or I don't think this is for me. I had literally students this past semester. I had one kid battle it out with me, basically, that was like, I do what I do because I like it. and It makes me feel happy. And I was mm. like, OK, but what about your audience? What right. does your audience feel? Didn't really not that they didn't care, but I think immediately they were sort of like, what, what does my audience feel? And then they came back the next week and immediately raised their hand and were like, I thought of something. And I was like, fierce. That's, I love that. But because like, I, because I was given this note in college that made me sort of go a little crazy. And I don't think they meant it as intensely as I took it, but you know, I'm a gay Jewish boy. So of course I took it intensely. Um, and uh, they said, one of my professors said in the most loving way that I was incredibly self-focused in my work. Meaning when I would get up on stage, I loved applause and I loved chewing the scenery. And I took that as I am a horrible person. I don't listen to anyone. I am self-focused and it's all about me. And um, I, it really rocked me. And so everything I do now is about who is it going to affect? So, you know, when I choose my guests with my podcasts, what do I think that guest is going to, who is that going to affect? Who have we not heard from? Who has not been talked to yet? Um, but it's the same with, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, Right. It's the same with the auditions I choose to go on. I turn down a lot of auditions where I'm like, I'm sorry, this is just not a story that I feel comfortable telling or I want to take up space telling. Right. I think that's, I think that makes sense. <laughs> you know, I just think, yeah. I, I think, I think actors, we are allowed to have agency we're allowed yes. to have agency. We're allowed to say no. We're allowed to say yes. We're allowed to say maybe. We're allowed to say, you know, I'll think about it and I'll circle back. And we don't have to be at the beck and call for everything and whore ourselves out. For Well, yeah. And I mean, to that <laughs> point, though, Michael, like I, I would offer that for me personally, the freedom of not having to take the jobs that don't service the things that I'm like looking to the stories that I'm looking to tell and put into the world. Like all of that has been supplemented by all the other stuff that I've ended up generating because that's how I, I make money. You know, like we also, we also got to make money. <laughs> like, you know, like I'm not, I have got kids there and I I'm living in New York now, the most expensive place in the world. Gosh. LA is not even close. And my friends in LA are like, really? It's that much more expensive? I was like, yeah, dude, it's that much more expensive. Really? Yes. Michael, are you kidding? Like, I don't even know. Like, I, I go out to dinner here and I'm like, what am I? This is insane. LA is not. No, it's so much more affordable to live in Los Angeles. I've only visited LA once. I Well, I was in LA just, but we just went to Disneyland, literally. Landed, drove so to Disneyland, and then yeah. flew back. Um, but I only did Disney, uh, nope, LA once. And, um, I, I, uh, yes, yes. I'm such a New Yorker. So I'm a little like, 
I had next time I go, I have to make sure I'm in the right mindset to be like, you are in LA now and you you can experience it. But I do, I'm, I, LA does interest me. And the fact that it's cheaper is crazy to me because I would not ever think that. I would think it's comparable, but. It's not, it's not. It's so much less expensive. How do you. Groceries, everything. And listen, don't look at like the the articles online talking about Erewhon and how expensive the smoothies are at Erewhon, which is like the fancy grocery store. Like Erewhon is its own beast. I love Erewhon personally, but like, no, everything in LA is like significantly less expensive than here. I'm naming my child Erewhon. It's a pretty name. <laughs> it um, is amazing. Um, it's a very. It also sounds very LA. Um, how? What propelled your? I think it's you know, nowhere backwards. <laughs> that's what that's it is. More Fair LA long. than I could ever ever imagine. Oh yeah. Um, the one thing here, though, the difference between New York, I feel like LA. How is the healthcare in New York in LA? Because I just had the worst doctor's appointment yesterday, two days ago, where she left my appointment to go get a. <laughs> can't make this up. She left my appointment. She said, I have to go fix my hands. And I thought she had to like disinfect her hands. She was like, I'll be back in 10 minutes. I was like, okay. She comes back 30, 30 minutes later with new nails. No, she did not. What? What? Where are we going? What are we ha- What's happening here? I, I guess. What, who s- are we going to? No, I guess let myself into believing there's no way that that happened, but it did. And it was, I was like, I that's so insane. <laughs> I literally was like, I can't tell if that is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen in my life, or I have to report you to like some board. But it, I obviously didn't, but I was like so impressed. But I was like, unfortunately, I don't think I could be seen by this person anymore. No, I don't um, think so either. One and done. <laughs> one and yeah. done. Is, is it the same over in LA? No, I've never had that experience. I mean, honestly, like, look, we could get into healthcare in this country. Well, it's a disaster. You disaster. get what you pay for. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that is really unhinged. <laughs> it's super unhinged. And I was like, I have to write that into something. Like, I feel like it was, do you remember Mad TV? Do you remember like- Of course, the, of okay. course. There was um, Nicole, oh, it's not Nicole Nicole Sullivan. Sullivan. No, I love Nicole Sullivan. It was the yeah. other. It was the other one, the one that plays Dot, the 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 special sister who's like everywhere and it, like, <sighs> but she plays this doctor that is like every like ever like Will Sasso would come in and judge her because she was like this like blonde doctor that was like adorable and was like like basically Glinda, and then like the punchline was she was incredibly. Um, educated and uh proficient in what she was saying and it was it was a really brilliant sketch because it was like a don't fucking judge you know a woman a woman and it was amazing and i remember um taking that with me as a as a as a middle schooler watching that being like yeah you can't judge it anyway but it was sort of like that it was like a are you like, are you so brilliant, but I just have to like deal with your shit. Like you're going to go get a manicure or I might never. That seems totally insane. Wait, Stephanie Weir. Was it Stephanie Weir? Stephanie Weir. It was her. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. 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 She's so funny. That whole cast. Mo Collins. Yeah. 
uh, Nicole Sullivan, um, yeah. Nicole Parker, Stephanie Weir, Deborah, Michael McDonald, Michael. Oh my God! Come on, Ike that, Barinholtz and Keegan Key Key and Peel, Jordan Peel. They came from that show. They were like the, that. Cast was was so. I mean, you know, the I, I I'm a huge SNL and Mad TV person, and it's like the literal good old days. But speaking of you know SNL, you were just in a little project that we all need to go see created by an SNL alum, Miss Tina Fey. Mean Girls, the movie musical. Mean Girls, the movie musical. Uh-huh. That. Um, how's it yeah, been? Crazy. It's you've been, been crazy. Bu- you've been busy with press. Been br- I was busy with press. Yeah. I mean, I didn't do a ton. I'm, I play Mrs. George. You know what I mean? It's all about the kids. And when you've got Renee Rapp out there doing press, no one else needs to. Uh, she is just the, the greatest. I adore her. Um, yeah, I had a, I had the best time. Literally all my clients in the past few days have been like, I've been like, what music do you want to listen to? Mean Girls. Mean Girls. I love it. I think it's like, I was a huge fan of the musical. I loved it. I loved it. I've worked, I've worked with Tina, uh, and her husband talk about Jeff. multi-hyphenates <laughs> talk about multi-hyphenates exactly um but i've i've worked with tina and jeff and eric gurian who runs their company with them um for like seven years now seven years and i met them because i actually didn't meet them but i'll explain mm-hmm. um i did a pilot for nbc called the sackett sisters in 2017 that was starring case me and casey wilson as sisters um bradley whitford played our like estranged father it was written by a guy named luke del tradici who was on brooklyn not he was like on brooklyn 99 forever i think that he had worked with tina and robert on 30 Rock, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had also gone to Wesleyan with my best friend, Emily Beebe. So I like knew him for a long time. And I was so excited. The show was so funny. The pilot was so funny. It didn't get picked up by NBC. I was very heartbroken about it. Um, Robert Carlock had come to LA for the shooting of the pilot. But so I didn't meet Tina while we were doing the pilot. Um, but afterwards, Eric Gurian, who had also been on set and runs their production company, was like, Tina really, and Tina called me, like I had talked to her on the phone, but we had never met in person. Um, And Tina called me after it didn't get picked up. And she's like, I know you're super bummed, but like, we should talk. Like, what do you want to do next? You know, you know, with Ellie, like we just, we, we got Kimmy put together for her because she wanted to do, you know, let's just talk. What do you want to do? And I was so heartbroken and I've been doing TV for so long. And I was like, T- I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm, I like, just can't take it. And, uh, then my Instagram became very popular and my Instagram stories were very, very popular. And that was when I had the idea that I wanted to do a talk show, um, mostly because I was looking around at the landscape and I was like, it's such bullshit that like, they just make women do these daytime talk shows and the men get late night and like, so annoying. It's just annoying. It was just annoying to me, honestly. (laughs) And, um, 
So I said to them, like, I want to do that. I called actually Eric Gurian and I was like, I've decided I want to do a late night talk show. Will Tina produce it? Like how Lauren produces Seth's like, will she do it? And he's like, I don't know. Let me talk to Tina. That's an interesting idea. I don't know. She's like, never done. We've never done that. I, I don't know. And then literally like a week later, they called me and they're like, this is going to sound crazy. I think we just sold your talk show to E like on the phone. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Okay, let's do it. It was crazy. It was like, yeah, it was That's nuts. how fast things happen. <laughs> it's how fast things happen. Well, yeah. And, and the truth was they basically like, yeah, they kind of did. I mean, we, I went in there then with, uh, you know, my reps and, and with Dave Miner, who's been Tina's longtime manager and, and Tina and we sat down and we were like, yeah, we should, we should do this. We should like do a talk show. We didn't really, we didn't know what it was. We didn't know like what, how it was going to all shake out, but we like, we built it together from the ground up and working with them in that capacity was just incredible. And, uh, you know, she was so involved. Uh, she and, Jeff and well, Eric Gurian came to LA when we were doing the talk show, but um, to help like get it off the ground and everything. But like she would watch every rehearsal and read my opening script monologue. And like she would text me jokes, like pitch me jokes. Like she was so involved and um, really incredible. And I learned, have learned obviously so much from working with her for the last seven years. and then, yeah, like, you know, we were all, bu- and, and she had me come do some Kimmy Schmidt, uh, while we were developing the talk show, I did like some episodes on Kimmy and then, and then after the show, we were kind of like, well, I don't know what we're going to do next. The pandemic happened. Oh, she had told me Renee Rapp had come in to Mean Girls on Broadway, like 2019, early 2020. Mm-hmm. And she was like, do you know this girl? You look, you guys look exactly alike busy it's weird and she was like you know you should think about if you would want to come in on broadway in the summer maybe when the girls are out of school and play mrs george on broadway you would kill you would love you would love it and i i remember at the time like thinking like that would be so fun because i loved the musical yeah it's amazing it's, you know great show and um and I love that part too, because she plays Mrs. Norbury and mm-hmm. Mrs. George, and she's just, it's just a great fun part. You get to be on stage for like, whatever, 12 minutes total, but it's yep. like, great. You kill. Yeah. Um, it's like Fontaine, but. Totally. With boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and comedy. And, and a little, just And just a little bit of singing, Michael. <laughs> um, and then of course the pandemic happened and everything shut down. And so that wasn't even an option. That was like, not even a thought. And, uh, and then she called me and offered me girls five Eva and, uh, and that's been incredible. And then she called me out of the blue and was like, Hey, you know, we're making this movie, which I did know because they've been talking about it on set on girls five Eva for a long time. Um, what for five Eva as they've been putting it together. Yeah. Um, but again, it wasn't like a thing that was on my radar that I would do because I also like have worked in this business for so long and I naturally assumed that Paramount would want like 
the biggest star they could get to be Mrs. George because it's like five days of work and they're, you know, I just know how this business is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then luckily for me, I don't know. They got, they, whoever they had tried to get couldn't do it. So I got, so I got off for the part. Lucky for you. You're, you're, you're a cool mom. I am. I know. It's amazing. I think it's just such a lesson of just, you know, what relationships in the industry can lead to and to just try to be the best person you can be. I mean, I think you are such a wonderful person and I've loved spending time with you and the times that I've been able to do that. And um, I just think other people really, truly feel that way because I think people just want to work with you. Like I want to work with you. I think you're amazing. And I think it's a lesson for people listening. Just be a good person and be a, be good at what you do too. Can I tell you that the best thing that I, and I've said this before, so I'm, if you've heard it, I'm sorry. Um, a friend of mine in LA years ago, who's a manager, um, Christy Smith, I'm going to give her the credit for it, saying this. She, but she had heard it. I don't know. She was like, to have real career longevity in this industry, you have to have three things. You have to be extremely talented, you have to be extremely hardworking, and you have to cultivate, generate goodwill mm-hmm. with the people that you work with. And you can exist in this business, you can find success with one of those things for a minute, for a minute. With two of those things, maybe you get away with it for a little bit longer. But if you don't have all three of those things, your career is not gonna last long. Because, and and it's so true, like I have been doing this now, Michael, like more than half of my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is the through line I see with all of the people who continue to work, who started out working when I started out working, it's that they're incredibly hardworking, they are very talented, but they also generate goodwill with the people that they work with and the people that they don't work with. And like, that's that's the thing, you can't be, there's no, there's no room um, when people aren't kind or are super difficult or, you know, become, you know, like conditions must be perfect for them to do their thing. It's like, we don't have time for that. You know what I mean? Like we're trying to get some stuff made and have, and like have a good experience. And like, sometimes it's not fun, but it can always be positive, you know, even when it's like hard and intense and, like takes a lot out of you, it should still, the people around who are helping to make it, like should not feel oppressed by mm-hmm. your art <laughs> or by your, ex- or by your, what you need to go through in order your to process, make it. Your, your process, yeah, a hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> your boundaries. Can I tell you though, I did at one point I was like, notice that every time because i do commercial work i work with a lot of brands and at one point i noticed that every time i would go into a dressing room for a commercial job there were swedish fish and i was like why is it always swedish what's going on and then one at one point a brand was like i don't know it's on your rider and i was like what swedish fish are on my rider and then i guess like at some point in the past 
one of my agents had like, I mean, this was like, like years ago. And I think my daughter was coming with me or something. Like, I don't even know how it happened, but it like got into someone's notes that I wanted Swedish fish. And then it's just been, and I was like, you guys, I'm so sorry. I don't need Swedish fish. I'm I'll not going to eat them. <laughs> I'll take them. If anyone wants to send me Swedish fish, I'll take them. Busy Phillips, you are the best. Thank you for being my hundredth guest. Um, I am so glad our paths crossed and we are friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that our paths crossed and we're friends too. And that we both do work for the ACLU. Um, and that we also believe in the power of storytelling to change people's hearts and minds because boy, do we have a big, we got a lot of work cut out for us. We got a lot of stuff. I know uh, we need, uh, people need our, our points of views and that's. They that's do. And I, and I hope that people listening to your podcast also take that seriously. Like, that's that's the takeaway. That's, it that's is. what I want. I want people to go, um, I have this story. I have this experience. How am I going to make it happen? And that's yes. what this podcast is because there's so many, I've, you know, I have producers on this podcast. I have investors in this podcast. I have actors. I have writers. I have directors. I have so many people, so many resources on this podcast for you to create your own thing, for you to finance your own thing, for you to get it from page to stage. So thank you for lending your time and words and you're really wonderful. You're really wonderful too. And I'm so happy for you and your new house. Oh my gosh, Come thank on, you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.